0: Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary's 28th bonus
1: episode. You somehow got the number correct. Good job. Correct. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it took me. Uh, I'm about a triple checked it, quadruple checked it, just kept going back. So
1: finally yeah, got it right. Just keep checking it. Yeah. I bet you not only did you triple check it, but, you know, you checked it three times. You even got that part right. (laughs) I I have full faith and confidence in you, sir. That's right. Okay,
0: so before we begin today with the bonus episode, I just had to say something regarding one of our first patrons, actually. Um, He joined as a patron very early on in our podcast, and his name is Griffin. He's a handsome cat that belonged to my girlfriend, but was part of our entire family. He lived with us for years, and at the age of 16, he passed away with bravery and dignity. It was just a few days ago. So we're all trying to adjust, and it's really hard, Um, as some of our listeners know, who have lost close pet friends, how hard that is. Um, Just the silence and not having him around is really tough. But anyway, wanted to dedicate this episode to him. Uh, We love you, Griffin. We miss you, buddy. And unfortunately though, this episode won't be about the absurdity of silly pigeons gathering on our porch or the strange nature of ice spinning in a bowl, (laughs) water bowl. Nope. It's not going to be that. Unfortunately, it's that's (laughs) going to, that's going to be later on, I think, but, um, yeah, so unfortunately, we won't be talking about any of that fun stuff. Uh, today, we're actually going to conclude our bonus two-part series on the tale of two Bundys. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So last time before the um, the Frank Duke's interlude, we we discussed Cliven Bundy, the Nevada rancher and anti-BLM. That's, by the way, that's Bureau of Land Management, though. It's um, That's not... Black Lives Matter, though. I think Black Lives Matter, he probably would have been against them, too. Let's be honest.
1: So he would have had (laughs) um, he would have had a lot of very useful and constructive things to say, (laughs) I I think, right about now.
0: Yeah. So on this episode, we'll introduce his son, Amon Bundy, with a little Ryan Bundy sprinkled in for good measure. You're right. I think you might be right. Amon. Amon Bundy is the son of Cliven Bundy and his first wife, Jane Marie Brown Bundy. So he was born in 1975 in Nevada. However, he was raised primarily in Phoenix, Arizona, before moving to Idaho. Some
1: of the worst places in the he country. Mo- I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Nevada, really, truly. Phoenix, and then Idaho. God. God. I'm sure there's lovely, pe- there's lovely people in all those places, but those places just objectively are bad. Definitely.
0: Maybe, maybe someone in Nevada, I'm not sure. Forrest. Okay. So he moved back to Phoenix and lives there with his wife, Lisa, and six kids, three sons and three daughters. Amon Bundy owns a truck repair company called valet fleet services. The company applied for a $530,000 loan from the federal small business administration in 2010. He's also listed as a member of
1: several other Arizona companies. Oh, see, you know, see, I like this. I like how the son sometimes fixes the problems of the father. You know, obviously he's not an anti-government lunatic because he took a a loan from a government organization, so I'm really glad this is going to be a nice, peaceful episode. <laughs> <sighs> Finally, we can relax a little bit. I'm grateful for that. Yep. Yeah.
0: Finally, some sanity. Yeah. Yep, exactly.
1: It's going to be like that for the whole
0: episode. <laughs> uh, not so fast. Okay, so in 2012, he lost his home in a short sale when he fell behind on his property taxes, mm. but now owns a 5,102 square foot home in Emmett, Idaho. Ooh,
1: nice. Bun-
0: yeah, Bunty was brought up in a LDS family, Church of Latter-day Saints, though there are some caveats because in July 2018, Eamon Bundy said at a speaking engagement in Smithfield, Utah, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is currently infiltrated by globalist, Socialists and even worse, environmentalists. Uh, He explains that the very group of environmentalists educated in quote government schools have infiltrated the lower and middle levels of the LDS church. Just
1: the lower and middle levels. (laughs) It's you. (laughs) Yeah, yes. So the top is fine. The elites. Exactly. I'll tell you. The LDS are fine. Yeah. In the article
0: in the Daily Herald, he stated that the prosecution of his family is really just a, quote, battle of the high priests. He also says, quote, and he answers your question here. So, quote, I know that our church on the lower levels and the mid-levels has infiltrated by these same people, but not the higher levels. Oh, okay, Amon okay. <laughs> says, as reported by the Herald Journal, I truly believe that those higher levels are honest, good, righteous men who follow the Lord's guidance and inspiration. And I believe that they will guide us through these tough times. Uh, so yeah. Okay. So yeah, like you said, so the higher ups in the LAS church are honest Good righteous men, but they are apparently incompetent men, right? I mean, it's like, uh, okay, so they did a piss poor job of uh maintaining some semblance of order here in their lower ranks, I guess. This yeah, globalists were think, able to
1: get inside because usually it's like uh, Truman, yeah, uh, you know, the buck stops here. I would think the buck stops at the top, yeah, that those righteous the LDS men. church. Right. And so they would be at least somewhat responsible, but I think you know, you're right, he did not say competent.
0: He also made it clear to the audience that environmentalism runs contrary to the bible oh. which we all know is true so all right so on january 2nd 2016 an armed group of activists seized and occupied the headquarters of the mulhar national wildlife refuge in harney county oregon and they were all killed by police
1: right <laughs> yeah I mean, immediately that's, I of mean, course an armed group of activists take over exactly i mean you know, clearly murdered by police right uh, immediately right yep
0: yep um oh no they were white so no oh In total, the armed activists were there until the final arrest was made on February 11th, 2016.
1: Ah, so they were there for over 40 days. Yeah, man. And they just uh, let them hang out on government property that they took over and they were (laughs) armed. Yep. Man, that is exactly what happens (laughs) to everyone else in this fucking country.
0: Eamon Bundy got his feet wet with his brush up with federal law officers with his father, Cliven, in Nevada several years back, as we discussed in the last uh, bonus episode. So the reason the activists took over the wildlife refuge was to make their point that the federal government is constitutionally mandated to turn over federal public land to the individual states. Definitely true. The worst of the worst in federal government agencies, according to these sovereign citizen heroes, were the BLM the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, (laughs) and the USFS, the United States Forest Service, even worse. In the final months of 2015, the residents of the city closest to the wildlife refuge, Burns, Oregon, uh, they noticed a lot of outsiders coming into town dressed in military-style clothing while openly carrying firearms. Some of the locals uh, considered these armed outsiders threatening, even harassing some of the locals, asking them their opinions about the role of federal government. Contrary to their local custom, many of the citizens of Burns, Oregon, began carrying guns themselves, thinking that a violent event was on the horizon.
1: Yeah, I that, mean, that, that is safe. that is the reasonable thought to have. Yeah, it is. <laughs> when yeah. men in military uniforms <laughs> with guns are asking you about your opinion about the federal government. Yeah, of course, <laughs> you're going to think something bad's going to happen.
0: One reason that the Miltons took over the wildlife refuge was to protest the treatment of two local ranchers by the name of Dwight and Stephen Dwight Hammond. These two ranchers, father and son, were serving five years in prison after they were convicted of committing arson on public land. That is until, of course, President Trump pardoned them. Because apparently you can do that. That's totally fine to do. Just like it's totally fine to lie to the FBI, apparently. Okay, no big deal. There was just one little problem of all of this. The Hammonds didn't want their help. But that little detail wouldn't stop Bundy as he pressed forward with his idea. Staff at the Mueller National Wildlife Refuge were dismissed early from work on December 30th, 2015. Supervisors told employees not to return to work unless specifically instructed to do so.
1: So they, I take it they kind of knew something was up. Yeah, that's they they why of, they're like, look, yeah. there's a bunch of these weirdos around. Yeah. Just stay home. Okay, exactly.
0: Yeah. And on January 2nd, 2016, a protest of about 300 people started in a Safeway supermarket parking lot in Burns. Okay, this rally was organized by the Pacific Patrons Network, which is a militia umbrella organization that
1: involves three percenters of Idaho. My understanding is that there it's like only it's something like only three percent of the country fought in the Revolutionary War or something like that. Some basically only three. You only need three percent. Yeah. Of the population. Yeah. To, 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 to be, armed be armed and to yeah, do exactly. whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. So, the, I mean, they're basically advertising. This is how big a losers we are. <laughs> we have to advertise the fact that there's barely anyone who thinks we're serious. <laughs> the 3%. That's the goal. <laughs> that is the top <laughs> statistically insignificant number. All right. Yeah.
0: Um. This group protesting the Hammond case had a presence in Burns since November. At this rally, several speeches were made. Then the crowd marched to the home of Dwight and Stephen Hammond, making a quick pit stop first at the sheriff's office and county courthouse. Then they returned back to their safe space, the Safeway parking lot.
1: I wonder what Safeway thought about all this. I know. That's what I was wondering. Do they they have someone on the inside of Safeway? I don't want these folks in my parking lot.
0: Yeah. What about the guy that gets the carts? You know, like he's out there getting the carts. Like, what does he think about this? He's probably like, can you fucking get out of my goddamn way? So according to a CBS affiliate, K-O-I-N, there were no police presence at all during any of this. So as the protest crowd was dispersing, Amon Bundy announced that he planned to occupy the Mueller National Wildlife Refuge, encouraging
1: protesters to join him in his journey. Two things. One, you it sounds like you keep saying Mueller National Wildlife Refuge, and I, know, I just imagine, I you know, um, uh, Mueller up there. Uh, Hanging out. Um, But the other thing is, so, you know, again, I'm going to predict the future. Clearly, uh, he was at least uh, got some police uh, attention because he said he was going to break the law and occupy this and he was getting people actively to do it. So clearly the police were on his case. At least they were paying attention. That's what happened, right? No. Uh, so uh, okay. <laughs> I apologize. I keep trying to predict.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, Also, the uh, the PPN guy, the, uh, you know, the three percenter guy that rally organizer later said he felt betrayed by Bundy's spontaneous quest to occupy the refuge because he was not consulted. And I mean, it was it was his rally after all. It's,
1: it's like it's I like proposing. Know. It's like proposing marriage at someone else's wedding. It's kind of like that, yeah. which is totally you don't it's like do it's totally <laughs> unacceptable right. behavior. And so, yeah, I can understand why that guy felt uh, felt betrayed.
0: Yeah, I just, I just picture him being like, oh, oh, well, you know, I can occupy something too. Like, come on, hey guys, let's go in here and occupy the Safeway produce section. Let's march. Come on, it's right here. Something much easier to occupy. So Ryan and Eamon Bundy, along with other armed protesters, headed about thirty miles south of Burns to the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge headquarters. The armed militants set up camp in the refuge. They at least had the courtesy to call the Harney County Sheriff's Office, though, and the utility company before taking over the headquarters and using their electricity. So that's nice. The police mostly kept away from the refuge headquarters because uh, who cares? Uh, let the little kids have their fun, I guess. I don't know what's going on. And by the way, the two ranchers, the, the Hammonds. Uh, oh, yeah. They also disavowed the actions taken by Bundy and his band of armed militants. <laughs> so they weren't even a fan of it. Okay.
1: Yeah. Thank God, though. Thank God, this wasn't a riot. You know. Thank yes. God, you thank know, goodness. if they took over a Target oh, or a Macy's, God. yeah, I know, I know. Then everyone would be very upset.
0: Oh, that's true. Or, or in the way of a photo op by a church. Oh, Ooh.
1: God. terrible. Ooh.
0: Peacefully. Yeah. You just got to hold
1: the Bible in a weird way, and you could do whatever you want in this country.
0: By January second, the militia group claimed that they had more than 150 armed members at the site. So one journalist reported he could only identify 12 armed militants on site. And another report claimed there were about 6 to 12. So who are we going to believe? Who gives a shit? Do your own research, I guess.
1: Yeah, you got to do your own research. I also just love how they're like, we want to make sure people understand we're a mega dangerous terrorist group. I mean, that's what this is. This is terrorism. Uh, Let's let's not mince words. They're terrorists. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had to lie about it. And even though they were lying about it, we couldn't get someone to maybe take a look.
0: So just one day later on, January 3rd, the Oregonian reported that there were roughly 20
1: to 25
0: people occupying the wildlife refuge.
1: So I am not an outdoorsman, Mm -hmm. clearly, but I've been to the outdoors a few (laughs) times. And so I'm thinking like, you know, when you go to a national park, there's usually like a headquarters. Yeah. And you'll see stuff. Is that what we're talking about? That kind of
0: structure? Yeah, I'm thinking it's um. so like for me, closest thing would be Red Rock. It's like the visitor center, I'm assuming kind of that front area, because a lot of those places have. Well, we'll get into it in a little bit, but they also have sort of like a little tiny mini museum sort of thing in there that kind of talks about the history and go through and it's free usually. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what we're talking
1: about. So that's what they were doing. Then they were like really going through those brochures. Yeah. Maybe watching a few videos in the theater. You know, yeah.
0: Yeah. All those free DVDs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the militants were reported as being deployed into defensive positions all over the area. They even turned the fire lookout tower meant to spot forest fires miles away as watchtowers where they armed with their armed militiamen stood with guns. So, you know, that's nice. Eamon Bundy said that they were being fed fresh supplies by local residents who are sympathetic to their cause of hating wildlife refuges. Hopefully this occupation wasn't officially sponsored by Safeway. I don't I don't think that it is. I don't want to say that. it wasn't. I'm still getting their supplies from Safeway.
1: Yeah, maybe they had someone on the inside who was, you know, maybe a franchisee, (laughs) for example, of the Safeway. I don't know how Safeway works. What did Amon's
0: father, Clive, think of all this occupation nonsense? Well, he said this. He said it was, quote, not exactly what I thought should happen, oh. which, hey, that, that alone must be the most reasonable sentence ever, ever come out of Clive Bundy's mouth. So it's that's good. Clive very mouth,
1: so. measured. Yeah. Not exactly what I thought should happen. <laughs> Incredibly. <laughs> if only he could have applied that to his own life, things would have gone <laughs> yeah. a little more smoothly.
0: Ryan Bundy said that the militant group's goal in occupation was for the Hammonds to be released from prison and that the federal government relinquish all control of the Malheur National Forest. Amon added that the militant's goal was to, quote, get the economics here in the county revived and for logging and outdoor recreation. Really big fan of the tourism, I guess. So we can finally stop just calling them armed militants, though, though I probably still will. Um, Because they finally gave themselves an official name. And they call themselves now the Citizens for Constitutional Freedom. Mm Who gives a shit. So, on January 4th, the judge executive of Harney County, Stephen E. Gradsty, sent Amon an email requesting that he vacate the refuge. Also, David Ward, the Harney County Sheriff, requested that the group leave. An email. An email. A very... Powerful way to get your message across. Yeah. In response to that email, Ryan Bundy said he was unconvinced that Ward spoke for all the people of the county. Oh, and then there's this one small thing, too, to complicate the cause of the occupation. On January 4th, Dwight and Stephen Hammond voluntarily showed up to begin serving the rest of their respective prison sentences. So, yikes. Oh, and there's also this other thing. According to Oregon Public Broadcasting, Ward, the Sheriff Ward, held a public meeting on January 6th at the Harney County Fairgrounds and asked the attendees if they thought the militants occupying the wildlife refuge should leave. Nearly every single hand went up in unison.
1: <laughs> that's so, weird. I
0: guess uh, they were wrong. Yeah.
1: They don't like it when people it just strange. take over public buildings that should be available to everyone <laughs> armed to the teeth and, and, and telling you that they're setting up towers for armed defense. If you come nearby. Yeah, that's strange. All right. So Ward then extended what he,
0: what we call white courtesy to these armed militants and offered them an escort to the county line if they would depart peacefully, which is nice. So I have to say, what what do you think screams American patriotism more than taking over federal wildlife headquarters? Man, I don't know. That's pretty near the top of the list. It's pretty high up. I know. I agree. But... Right up there with it is punching veterans.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Apparently, a fistfight broke out at the refuge while a group that called themselves veterans on patrol attempted to enter the refuge to convince women and children to leave with them. The militants apparently punched one member of the veterans on patrol in the face, giving him a black eye. Yeah. So there were children here, too, by the way. So, yes, <laughs> that's, that's
1: great. That's great.
0: Little waco Yeah.
1: And so, I mean, that's I mean, again, I don't understand why the members of the county wanted them gone no it makes no sense i mean they are it's not like they're gonna punch you oh wait it is exactly like they're gonna <laughs> punch you if you just try to enter the building that is public <laughs> land on january 7th
0: sheriff ward met with ryan and amon bundy 20 miles from the wildlife refuge site to discuss solutions for their departure ward offered the same peaceful escort out while the Bundys rejected the offer, stating that the occupation would not stop until management of federal land in Harney County had been turned over to local residents. On January 8th, other militia members met with Citizens for Constitutional Freedom, sorry, uh, Armed Militia, where they were asked to establish an armed perimeter around the refuge to avoid a Waco-style situation.
1: You know, I can imagine a few other ways to avoid a Waco-style situation. Yeah. Like growing yeah. the fuck up and yeah. leaving. <laughs> but I mean, arm you know, I mean, arm perimeter is also um, that is also another good way one to avoid way. a yeah. Waco style situation <laughs> is, um, yeah, armed guards ready armed to the teeth to murder yes. any kind of officer of the law who's going to try to do their job. Exactly.
0: So the three percenters of Idaho announced that they were sending in armed men to surround the perimeter on January 9th. This was a bit of a mess as these groups were greeted with mixed reception. Eventually, that same day, many of the outside armed militia groups were asked to just leave. So oh, that was failed.
1: That's just, <laughs> just, 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 just too much. Too many, too many militia groups. Losers. here. Yeah. Losers. <laughs> <laughs> mixed reception. Splitters. You can't come to mixed reception when you're an armed militant. <laughs> you, you can't. It can't be like, eh? The people just don't like us here. And so I guess we're going to leave. <laughs> that can't be. It's got to be, you've got to really commit <laughs> yeah. when you're an armed militant. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to die here. Yeah. You know, like, that's got to be it. It can't be like, oh, I guess they want us to go home. <laughs> so I guess we got to go. So by
0: January 10th, the city of Burns became a hotbed of random armed militias, some with intentions of helping the occupiers, while others were there to convince them to leave the refuge. Yet still others were there for no real clear reason whatsoever. So that's fine.
1: Yeah, it's the, it's the happening place. Yeah, you just got to be there.
0: So on January 11th, the Bundy's carried on their proud tradition of doing things for other people who never asked for their help by removing a stretch of fence between the wildlife refuge and a neighboring ranch. The Bundys said that this was to give the adjacent ranch access to the land, which was blocked from them for years. However, the ranch owners didn't want this and immediately repaired the fence.
1: My first thought when I heard this was... When I found Harry Boots for the second time. Yeah. When he was he got out and he escaped. And I just imagined, oh, finally, you know, we were so worried about you. Yeah. And then if I found out my fucking dumbass neighbor fucking unhooked my <laughs> fence so I could have access to the alley. <laughs> like I did never ask for that. <laughs> Leave my fence alone. He's just looking out for your freedom. Come on. You know what I'm going to say? Let me ask you to look out <laughs> yes. for my freedom.
0: Let's get consent before giving me freedom. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> freedom should be consensual.
0: <laughs> okay. But that didn't stop the wildlife occupiers. They began searching through stored government documents for evidence that the government was fucking over local ranchers.
1: Oh man, the the Mueller wildlife <laughs> refuge is going to have. <laughs> That's where the X files are located. <laughs> the Mueller report is coming. All right.
0: Um, Meanwhile, the conditions inside the refuge were not looking so good. One report said that the refuge facilities were in utter shambles and that there were rat feces two inches deep.
1: Oh, God, it's the rats that are going to get it, man.
0: Ooh. yeah. On January 14th, Eamon Bundy announced.
1: So they just, I mean, like, so
0: let it go to shit. Literally.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So in the best possible world. What they want, they're freedom fighters who want the local, the people to own and cherish this land mm-hmm. and not the tyrannical government. That's like the best gloss over this. Yeah. And yet they are exactly proving why you can't do that Yeah, because they couldn't <laughs> handle dealing with like a housekeeping. simple problem <laughs> like rat feces. they No one was washing dishes. <laughs> no. This is the problem. Seriously. Anyone who's lived in like a co-op knows yeah. that the anarchist principles go down the drain <laughs> as soon as someone needs to change the dishwasher <laughs> seriously, or someone needs to change the rat traps. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is why this is why I'm glad they don't have <laughs> power over anything.
0: On January 14th, Eamon Bundy announced that the occupiers are going to stay longer and were reaching out to nearby county sheriffs for support. But obviously that was useless. Harney County Sheriff Ward, Judge Stephen Grazzi, and other county officials were served fake legal documents by the militants requesting to hold, quote, a trial with the re- redress of grievance against county officials. Honestly, though, okay, so since they're they're just making pretend federal documents, they might as well make their own fake currency, declare themselves a micronation. You know, they could mm-hmm. change their motto from don't tread on me to don't slightly tread on me. Yeah, you know, a little smaller. Also, I mean, you know, yeah.
1: they already we already have fake currency. It's called the Federal Reserve Note. Read about oh, it. Only Jesus gold Christ. is money. Right. So might as well. That's true. My bad. I mean, if they're if the government's going to do it, they might as well do it, too.
0: So the following day, the Oregon State Police arrested a militant at the Burns Safeway parking lot. He was driving a stolen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is going on with Safeway? I know. I know. It There's always something's goes up with Safeway. Safeway. Something there's a Safeway franchisee who is in bed with these terrorists. Yeah. Something is going on. Something's happening.
0: <laughs> so he was so he was in the Safeway parking lot um, and he was driving a stolen vehicle
1: from the wildlife refuge headquarters. Mm. So I'm really I got to be I got to be honest. I'm really surprised someone was arrested. So, far. yeah, this is yeah. the first arrest. Yep. It's all about I thought, you know, I thought they were just I thought you were allowed to uh, just uh, break any law as long as you were a uh, armed terrorist. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought that federal buildings, totally fine. Federal things on wheels. No, can't take those. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. That's
0: the that's the key difference. So one level headed group in all of this finally. Was the Oath Keepers, anti-government militia who warned of a prospective quote, conflagration so great it cannot be stopped, leading to a bloody, brutal civil war if the situation escalated into violence.
1: And again, this is this is because they want the state government to be in control over a certain patch of like meadow or something. Yeah. Like that is again powerful. powerful. I've said this many times over this series and the Posse Commentator series. Mm-hmm. The right needs to own that they are the ultimate champions in hyperbolic hysterics. I mean, when it comes to the nothing the left has ever done, no safe space touting SJW trigger warning libtard has ever even come close to threatening, bloody, brutal civil war because the state government doesn't own a patch of land. (laughs) That is a hysteria I cannot even comprehend.
0: Yeah, it's award winning.
1: Oh, but I want a safe space uh, so that I can talk about things without Nazis being around. Right. But yeah, that's <laughs> ooh,
0: that is the worst. Oh, I
1: have blue hair. God.
0: Right. Jeez. So, OK, during this time, the refuge occupants grew to several dozen, according to one news report, while another news outlet reported about 40 occupants. One militant told the Washington Post on January 16th that, quote, it needs to be very clear that these buildings will never, ever return to the federal government. Yeah, it's only armed losers and lots of rats from now on, apparently. So, okay.
1: yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I do want I want the rats. We need to start arming the rats Yeah. so they can take. over. I think so, too. When the government wouldn't
0: fight with the militia, they turn their anger onto the wildlife refuge buildings themselves. They began to vandalize the refuge. One video showed the militia inspecting a locked storage room full of archaeological artifacts held in agreement with the Burns Paiute Tribe, an indigenous people's nation in Harney County. The leaders of this tribe asked federal authorities to block the passageway into this area.
1: Yeah, again, I, I bet that their handling of these artifacts is excellent evidence that they have the intellectual capacity to be in direct control of these exactly, lands. I know that is what is going to happen. And and on um, January nineteenth,
0: Amon Bundy and a handful of other refuge occupiers appeared unannounced at a Burns community meeting. They didn't address the crowd, but it was clear the residents wanted them to end this occupation.
1: So wait a minute, they left. They yeah, left they were the they ref- would come
0: and go supposedly. And well, I'll they talk were, about that. They in a were second, just coming and going. Yeah, coming and going. That's uh, yeah, I uh, yep, it's uh, I, coming up here. I
1: did not know that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I would think,
0: uh, uh, okay,
1: okay, (laughs) this just keeps getting worse.
0: It just keeps getting a lot worse. So, on January 21st, the Bundys met with the FBI discussing the end of the occupation. Two days later, the militants held a news conference at the refuge. They made an announcement that two cattle ranchers, one from New Mexico and the other from Oregon, were going to renounce their federal grazing permits at the conference. big time. However, only one rancher, Adrian C. Sewell, a convicted felon, showed up to renounce his federal grazing permit. The other Oregon rancher apparently had better things to do or more likely wasn't a fan of Bundy speaking for him. Maybe. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know what really you know what really happened, though, right? <laughs> I mean, he was clearly he sold out. Yeah, he sold out to big desert tortoise. Oh, that God, is what you're right. Holy
0: shit. I didn't even think that, about that. Yep. Uh, you're yep. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, law enforcement was nice enough during the first two weeks of the occupation to let armed militants come and go as they please to the occupied wildlife refuge. However, on January 26, a few militia leaders were attempting to drive two vehicles to adjacent Grant County, Oregon. Ryan Payne was invited by a Canyon City, Oregon logger to give a speech at a public meeting at the John Day Senior Center in John Day, Oregon. This was the first time that the main leaders of, like all the leaders of the militia were traveling together away from the wildlife refuge headquarters. State and local law enforcement used this opportunity to intercept them with a traffic stop away from populated areas on a stretch of US Route 395. So militant leader Lavoie Finnicum was Ooh, driving a white a 2015 Dodge Ram. Yeah. Lavoy Finnicum. Damn was driving a white 2015 Dodge Ram followed by a dark-colored Jeep. FBI and Oregon State police vehicles pulled up behind the Jeep. The Jeep's driver pulled over, and he and his passengers, Eamon Bundy and Brian Cavalier, surrendered peacefully and were taken into custody. Finnicum kept on driving with law enforcement in pursuit. He was eventually stopped with police cars behind his truck, so the police launched pepper spray at the Dodge Ram. Ryan Payne stepped out of Finnegan's truck and surrendered while handing over the handgun holster on his right hip, in a glaring example of what is called white privilege. A passenger in the Dodge Ram, Shawna Cox, recorded cell phone video of Finnegan shouting to the police that he intended to ignore their orders and just drive away. Ryan Bundy's cell phone video recording showed Finnegan taunting police officers, daring them to shoot and kill him. After about seven minutes of that white privilege nonsense, Finicum started driving again north at very high speed. Shawna Cox, Ryan Bundy, and 18-year-old Victoria Sharp were all in the back seats of the Dodge Ram as Finicum raced away from the police. The officers were in pursuit yet again. Finicum eventually ran into a roadblock set up by Oregon State Police. According to the trial documents, an Oregon State Police SWAT member fired three shots with an AR-15 into Finnegan's Dodge Ram as it came close to the roadblock. Finnegan veered off to the left shoulder of the road to evade the roadblock, which embedded his truck into a snowbank. Finnegan then exited the vehicle and began walking away from his truck. He briefly raised then lowered his hands above his head while Finnegan was exiting his truck, a FBI hostage rescue team member allegedly fired two shots, one entering the truck and ricocheting, which gave Ryan Bundy a minor shrapnel wound. An Oregon State Police officer armed with a non-lethal taser X2 walked downhill from the embayment towards Finnegan. As this officer attempted to move within the 15 feet range for the taser, Finnegan turned his body towards the left, holding his jacket with his left hand, reaching for his pocket with his right hand. He was then fatally shot twice in the back by an Oregon State Police SWAT member from the roadblock area. After the shooting and arrest, the law enforcement officers stated that Finnegan was reaching for a handgun in his pocket, and that is why they shot him. The FBI found a loaded 9mm Ruger SR9 in his left jacket pocket. So, Ryan and Eamon Bundy were both arrested, as well as three other militants. They face, quote, federal felony charges of conspiracy to impede federal officers from discharging their official duties through the use of force, intimidation or threats, Just is Title 18, United States Code Section 372.
1: I.E. the fake law. That ain't <laughs> exactly. no Christian common law. <laughs> what the hell is that?
0: <laughs> so the driver of the Jeep and Victoria Sharp were released without charges. And what did Cliven Bundy think about all this? Well, he said that Finnegan was, quote, sacrificed for a good purpose. Uh, So, yeah, what purpose was that endangering the lives of the passengers in his truck wildlife refuge squatter rights helping uh, people that don't want your help at all and basically uh, not much purpose at all. I guess I don't know
1: something like that. Yeah, well, he stood up against big desert tortoise and for that (laughs) (laughs) statues should be built. That's what i him.
0: So after the January 26th arrest the occupation of the Mahler wildlife refuge somehow still continued. Um, However, though, in the early morning of following days, militant Jason Patrick said that the women and children had already left the refuge. It was down to just five or six occupants. So not shortly after this, the the federal and state police forces descended on the region, forming a perimeter around the refuge while blocking access to it from the outside by setting up roadblocks. Eamon Bundy urged the remaining armed militants to go home. But in that great tradition of not listening to what other people actually want, they ignored But
1: <laughs> that's the problem. That's the problem. They're all splitters. It's <laughs> a, a wonderful tradition.
0: Some did, though, actually, um, a few did flee, but uh, there's some that stayed because by the morning of January 28th, only four militants remained. But by February 11th, the four holdouts were all in custody. So in the end, to- a total of 27 people involved in the wildlife refuge occupation were charged under federal law. But of those, 26 have been indicted for a single federal felony count of conspiracy to impede officers. When we mentioned earlier,
1: I like how that's it. Yeah, that's it. I feel it should be more illegal. I think you're right. Otherwise, I'm just going to go move in. Yeah, go hang out.
0: A number of those under indictment were charged with other offenses that could secure life in prison, such as possession of firearms in federal facilities, use and carry of firearms in relation to a crime of violence, theft, depredation of government property, and so on. On October 27th, 2016, Eamon Bundy, along with six other defendants, were found not guilty of conspiracy to impede federal officers and possession of firearms in a federal facility by a jury. Good job, guys.
1: The conspiracy to impede federal officers. That sounds like a complicated charge. But right. possession of firearms at a federal facility. I'm pretty sure they were kind of being real loud about that. <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of bragging about that. So, yeah, I definitely am a, a bit uh, confused. how They found them not guilty about that.
0: So, however, the judge returned Amon and Ryan Bundy to federal custody due to them still facing trial for the 2014 Bundy standoff in Nevada. Eamon ah, yes. Bundy's, yeah, so, but this is the best part. Amon Bundy's lawyer, Marcus Mumford, was furious with his decision, arguing that Bundy should be released immediately on the grounds that the court did not have a detainer. The judge scolded Mumford for screaming at the bench, while six U.S. Marshals surrounded the defense table to tackle Mumford. They taste him <laughs> when he resisted. <laughs> I
1: think, I think his lawyer needs a lawyer, man. This is, uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> intense yeah i think (laughs) even a lawyer cannot defend themselves and again (laughs) again talk about hysteria Mm -hmm. where he is so he's screaming at a judge because his client (laughs) won't be released who is on trial for an armed standoff (laughs) against the federal government screaming at a judge and has to be tased yeah
0: it's just as bad as a, a spoiled college student being upset about a you know Native American costume or something. That is the same thing.
1: It's exactly the same thing. That, I mean, it's the same level of the story. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so as far as the actual wildlife refuge headquarters, the FBI labeled the entire area a crime scene, finding all sorts of firearms and explosives on site. Safes were broken into, cameras, money, computers were stolen from the refuge. The militants illegally dug a new road expanding a parking lot um, they dug trenches and took down security cameras they dug a new road they do road yeah just a, just I, a, that a, is a new road they put a toll booth in it I'm just kidding they're against they're against <laughs> no. you know oh, they're oh. definitely against booths
1: that is dirty <laughs> dirty <laughs> joke uh, I, I was uh, below the joke below the uh, uh yeah below the belt below the
0: toll road that's All where right.
1: they dug it it was below
0: So they also found very badly damaged tribal artifacts, too, of course. Of course. So the FBI's art crime team conducted an archaeological field assessment to determine if the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act of the Archaeological Resources Protection Act of 1979 were violated. Man, I have to say, I really want to join the FBI's art crime team. That sounds pretty sweet some of the some of the pipes broke at the refuge officials said that after this the militants defecated everywhere so um investigators so maybe, <laughs> investigators so maybe found, quote, we should
1: we shouldn't blame the rats for all the feces no. i think maybe they've been admonished a little too yeah. much in i think this you're situation. right yeah.
0: not a plumber among them either isn't that crazy uh, mm. oh so investigators found, quote, significant amounts of human feces at two large trenches and an improvised road on or adjacent to grounds containing sensitive artifacts So of the Burns Paiute tribe. So they shit so that's on lovely. a road with these artifacts. Exactly. Just wonderful. The Oregonian stated that this occupation, quote, cost taxpayers at least $3.3 million to cover the massive police response a week of shuttered schools and a long list of supplies ranging from food to flashlight batteries,
1: fiscal Can concerns. you Imagine being on shit cleanup duty. Oh my God. You have to clean the shit of adults who are mad because they're not given control over that refuge. Yeah. Can you imagine that is the worst job in America? Jesus Christ. Yeah. It says
0: somewhere. And when I was reading this at the, um, the tribal leaders were like, it would be like going to Arlington cemetery and just like shitting all over the graves and like driving like bulldozers over it and stuff. Just like,
1: come on. Yeah. <laughs> what I, the fuck? And it, and it happened. There are those amongst us who are very sick and they can't control their bowels. Yeah. And I'm not talking to them, but if you are a normally continent adult human being, if you have to shit on the floor mm. out of your own free will, you don't get to control a place, right? That's my. I mean, I know that is pretty extreme, but as uh, until you're potty trained, I don't think you should be able to vote. <laughs> I think that's a that's a good standard. That's, I'm yeah. going to say that. I think that's number one, or at least shit in the trench that you dug.
0: Yeah, you're digging trenches. You got a you n- dug new road a there. shit
1: trench it's on the road. Even I, I mean, this care. is forty days. Yeah. Forty days. That's not that long. Oh, no. How much can you shit in 40 days? I mean, I know there's a lot of guys there, but I mean,
0: God, I wonder what they were eating. Jesus.
1: Oh, my God. I (laughs) I don't don't even want to know what they were eating from Safeway. (laughs) Who knows (laughs) what groceries they got?
0: Can you imagine like Grubhub, like delivering out to them? (laughs) I'm just like, oh, God, this is going to be a weird delivery. All right. So, however, this doesn't reflect the true costs of the occupation. When you factor in the around the clock police force with overtime Lodging, fuel, wages paid to employees who couldn't work um, during the occupation. There's also the cost of time that was lost in the field, delays, canceled BLM projects, stolen or damaged property. So really, I think the true cost of this dumbass occupation is somewhere around $9 million God, God in bless total. America. So that's wonderful. <laughs> also, one final cost not factored in. That I didn't mention yet is carp based. We didn't mention this earlier. So we were talking you, didn't, you, you, about you don't it. mean foreshadowing you didn't say
1: c- uh, crap based, not crap. Oh, carp. Carp. Okay. Yeah. The we've fish. already talked about the crap yep. based problems. So now it's yes. a carp so <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Very different.
0: <laughs> so efforts to reduce the population of invasive carp in Mallor Lake were set back three years due to this occupation. So. Yeah, I think the soft sit logo should just be a carp wearing a "Don't Tread on Me" hat. Actually, yes, it should do that. Yeah. Okay. So, in some final good news, May eighth, two thousand seventeen, the entire visitor center, including the center patrol road of the Mallor Wildlife Refuge, was finally reopened. All the shit was cleared. Everything was repaired. Literally, and you can now go there. Literally, Literally all the
1: shit was yeah. cleared.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that concludes this bonus episode. Um, Dylan, did you
1: uh, enjoy both of these? Um, any, any other one stand out more than the other? Uh, I mean, I think this one definitely stands out more. Yeah. Um, there, I was more familiar with this story mm-hmm. um, than I was the original, but there was a lot of details I was unaware of with this story. Mm-hmm. Um, so this really wasn't planned. But I think I mean, the very first thing I think about when I hear this and when I when I heard the previous episode is thinking about all the protests going on. Yeah. uh, You know, sparked off by George Floyd's murder amongst others. Yeah. Um, And I really think you have to see that in comparison to this. Yes. I, I think this is a vital part of why people think this is such a problem. Not it's enough that a police officer felt the need to knee a man's neck yeah. for nearly nine minutes for using a Jesus counterfeit Christ. $20 bill. Yeah. But then you hear, you know, what did they, they didn't do that to Eamon Bundy. They yeah. sent him an email yeah. for leading armed terrorists. Again, I feel that word is very important. Oh, here. Yeah. These were armed terrorists. Thank God they didn't kill anybody. They were trying to, Yeah, they were arming people. They were putting up against. And so what do we do when armed terrorists take over federal property, our property, by the way, that we all pay taxes for? They send them a fucking email. And And this is the second thing kind of, again, related to the George Floyd protests. If the protests, if they really wanted to avoid the militarized approach, if they wanted to avoid the tear gas and the pepper spray and the beatings, they should arm themselves. Yeah. That is what this community. That's what it says. Yeah. Loud and clear. They should get AK-47s. And I don't want to say that, but I mean, th- what other conclusion can right. we reach? Then when you arm yourselves, that is the only opportunity when the state actually pays attention. Maybe then George Floyd would have gotten an email. Yeah, exactly.
0: It was like this with the Nevada ranchers um, too. Same kind of thing with this with the standoff. You know, they. I mean, there's ranchers pointing guns directly at you know federal agents BLM officers and just was allowed to leave you know just like okay no big deal yeah it's uh quite hypocritical that's all I gotta say it's fucking horrible and with that that concludes our tale of two bundies part two so we are (laughs) done
1: Thank you dear patrons for listening to this bonus episode. If you want to suggest topics for new episodes, bonus or otherwise, just head on over to Patreon and let us know. We're so grateful for your support and we'll basically do anything and degrade ourselves in any way to keep your support strong. So please head on over to our Patreon page and let us know what you would like to see from the podcast moving forward.